Well, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Um, if social media, I kind of checked my news feed last night just to see kind of how people were feeling. It seemed there was a pretty big consensus that a lot of people are glad that 2022 is gone. <laughs> we're leaving it in the past, right? It's New Year, new opportunities. Some of you may have been ponderings, New Year's resolutions or Ways you might think that 2023 could be better than 2022. If you had a good 2022, great. But like I said, my, my unscientific social media scroll last night told me a lot of people didn't have a great 2022. Um, something about New Year's, right? There's a promise of hope. Can maybe get a little introspective thinking about the things that we want to see different or change, right? We all know that. If you're a regular gym person, you know not to go, right, the first couple days of the new year because it's going to be packed and crazy, right? People wanting to maybe put some healthy habits into place. Maybe this is the year you finally kick that one nagging thing that you've been trying to get rid of for a long time. Well, I hate to burst your bubble on your New Year's resolutions, but New Year's resolutions really, like, scientifically speaking, aren't the best ways to make a change in your life. About 80% of the people that make them, by the time it's February, it's not really New Year, New Me anymore. A lot of people, about 80% kind of drop them off. Actually, only about 8% of people will keep them through the whole year. And without getting too much into the sociology and the psychology of why that's true, the short answer is that our own personal individual willpowers are not enough to make change. Augustine, thousands of years ago, mentioned that we've got restless hearts. Our hearts are always longing and wanting things. And it's hard to battle that restlessness that can give way to sinful desires on our own, right? That's hopefully why you all are here. So if your New Year's resolution was to make it to church more, well, congratulations, you're batting a thousand. But clearly, nobody wanted to make a resolution to sit towards the front today. So you're probably thinking, wow, I'm really glad that I dragged myself out of bed to hear such an uplifting and inspiring message for the new year. Thanks, Father Taylor. But my job as a preacher isn't to make you or myself, for that matter, feel good about yourselves or about what's going on in the world. That's not my job. My job is to tell the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's what I'm here to do. And there might be some New Year's stuff mixed in there for you. But again, right, I'm here to talk about Jesus why? Because those good feelings, you might, that feeling of optimism that you might be that 8% that makes it, well, those good feelings, they can come and they can go, right? When you maybe don't make it, how are you going to feel, right? If you break your resolution early on, right? That's why our feelings, they can be these unreliable guides. But Jesus, Jesus is the way, the truth. In the life. And so today, right, January 1st, we have this kind of like strange commemoration, or it may seem strange to us, right? This is a commemoration of Jesus' circumcision in the celebration of his holy name. Listen to our collect, right, our kind of prayer that collects up our thoughts for the day. 
Almighty God, your blessed Son fulfilled the covenant of circumcision for our sake and was given the name that is above every name. Give us grace faithfully to bear his name and to worship him with pure hearts according to the new covenant who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So it's still Christmas season, as Father Mark reminded us. And this message, it's not about finding hope and willpower in our ability to change ourselves, but the joy of God coming amongst us in human flesh and how that creates real change in our lives. We don't need a New Year's resolution God. That's not the kind of God that we need. We need a new covenant God. So this morning, I want to examine our scriptures and see how this new covenant that God puts on display in Jesus is why we hope and why it's not about New Year's resolutions, good as those things can be. So the last line of our gospel passage gets left out in the Christmas story, but it's important for our story today, right? Jesus is circumcised on the eighth day. This is, you know, exactly what Jesus' parents as good Jews were supposed to do. They circumcised him on the eighth day, and they gave him his name Jesus, right? Which is Yeshua or Joshua, which means literally God saves. So Jesus' name is significant, right, in meaning. I think it's just important because Jesus didn't just take on a general sense of humanity, but he took on Jewish flesh, Right? and all the cultural expressions that were connected in that. Why is that important? Well, because God had made a covenant with Abraham and then all of Abraham's descendants to be their God, and to not just be their God, but to bless the whole world through them. And the sign of that covenant, odd as it may be, was male circumcision. All right, that's enough about the circumcision talk. Don't worry. Um, So now, why would the church celebrate this? Why is that a big deal? Because Jesus is how the covenant of God gets truly expanded beyond the Jewish people. In our Romans passage, it says that God had promised good news before Jesus came through the prophets, that Jesus was to be a descendant of David, right? Jewish and was shown to be the Son of God by the power of the Holy Spirit in his resurrection. Listen to verse 5. Through him and for his name's sake, we received grace, right? Through Jesus, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith, right? So Jesus is expanding God's people to include, getting attacked already, spiritual warfare, um, to include the whole of everyone that God made, right? It's not just for the Jewish people. Put another way, Jesus is the fulfillment of this covenant promise. So a brief word about covenants. We don't really talk in kind of covenantal language that much in our day. That might feel like it's an old, antiquated thing. So covenants were more than just a legally binding contract. They were a promise to fulfill the nature of this relationship, whatever relationship that was being covenanted, if you want to make it into a verb, 
a promise in the fullest sense, right? With a contract, if someone breaks it, then the other party may have legal cause to tear up the terms of that relationship, right? That, call, that contract can get nullified if one of the members does something to break the contract. But a covenant is stronger than a contract, especially when God is involved. When God sought to make a covenant with Israel and through Israel to eventually bless the entire world, there was nothing that Israel could do to nullify that contract. And Israel did try pretty darn hard, right? And us included to do those things that would break that contract. So if you look at our passage this morning in Exodus 34, you might think that's kind of a strange passage to begin with, right? Why do we have this passage in Exodus 34? Well, it's an example of how the covenant between God and his people was renewed, right? This is happening after Israel breaks their covenant with God, right? They've, God has raised up the Israelite people, right? Taken them out of slavery in Egypt, taken them through the Red Sea, given them the Ten Commandments, and what do they do? Well, they melt all their gold and they worship a golden calf image, right? Not the one true God. So in light of this, God is remaking the covenant with them. He's showing them that even though you've maybe broken it on your end, I on my end, right, have not broken it. I'm going to show you that that covenant is still there, right? From a contract perspective, God could have nullified his agreement, Right? He could have said, back to Egypt as slaves, right? You guys aren't getting on board with what I wanted you to do. Well, thanks be to God for covenants and not contracts. Listen to verses 6 and 7, and this is where the holy name piece comes into what we're talking about, right? Because the way that God speaks to the importance of this covenant is he attaches his name, who he is, to the very covenant that he's creating, right? The Lord passed before them and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's the God who creates covenant, right? And God, for God to be true to who he says he is, means he must uphold the covenant in this way. When, we, when God sought to make a covenant with Israel and through Israel to bless this whole world, right, there was nothing that Israel could do to nullify this covenant, God is merciful. This is actually the way that God self-describes himself over and over and over in the Old Testament, right? And some, for some of us, this still may not feel like the way we think about God, but I think we should take God's word for it, right? This is who God says he is, and this is who God has shown himself to be over and over and over again, not only throughout the history of Israel, but throughout the history of the church, right? Right? Anytime we as humans have done things where God could have said, sorry, you know, God doesn't break the covenant. He keeps it. He forgives. 
He's gracious. He's merciful. I need this kind of God, right? We need this kind of God because all too often, I'm not as great as gracious or merciful as I should be, right? I might be quick to judgment or condemnation. And what's interesting is in the next verse in this passage, which we didn't read, God literally says to his people that he's making a covenant with them in verse 10. The Israelites didn't obey God so that they would be saved. That's not how it works. God saved them first, and the Ten Commandments and all the other laws, they were how they were supposed to live with God and with one another, even when they would mess it up. Right? Did you catch what Moses says? Moses says, these are stiff-necked people, God. Have grace with us because we're going to mess it up. And the reason that God can keep this covenant is that it is precisely God's nature to act in this way. That's why God can keep the covenant even when we don't. I want to bring in a passage, some of you may know this passage well, from Ezekiel chapter 36. This is where we get this bigger picture of, of, of covenant and what it means to be in the covenant. Picking up in verse 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, right? Not for Israel's sake, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Again, if you've got this image of a vindictive God who is out to get people, this might sound scary, right? God's going God's to show what his name means, what it looks like? Well, how does God do that? God doesn't do that by destroying Israel, right? God lets Israel have the natural consequences of their obedience, but they're never ultimately destroyed. Actually, what God does to show who his holy name is, is he actually restores Israel despite their disobedience and despite their brokenness, right? Continuing onwards, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from your idols I will cleanse you. That's what God does when we mess up, right? And I will give you a new heart because you need one. That's my parentheses, right? And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So God does this for his sake. And because of that, we are blessed, right? That's how big God is. When God vindicates his holy name, it's, not, it's by rescuing the world. It's not by destroying it. God cleans up the things that are sinful, that are out of step with who he designed us to be. Our stubborn, stony hearts, they get replaced with a new heart, right? That's the kind of New Year's thing I want, right? God, replace my heart. Don't let me just try to fix it by myself. He puts his spirit, 
in me and in you, right? The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. That's what's in us. And his spirit is at work within us, right? Did you catch the last bit of that? It's God's spirit at work within us that makes us able to follow him and obey him. Again, right? Another reason why willpower alone doesn't just always work. This is what Paul calls in our Romans passage, right? He calls this the obedience that comes from faith. When we trust that this is who God is and that his spirit can work in us despite our weakness, despite our lack of willpower, despite our stony hearts, God gets glorified. All right, so where does that leave us? I'm not saying don't try a New Year's resolution. You can try it. But don't believe that your ability to keep it or not keep it is what makes you valuable to God. And instead of trusting your willpower to change, why not trust God? And yes, that does mean that we have agency and chain. That's not just this blind trust where we say, God, do it, right? Jesus, take the wheel, right? There's got to be something that we do in response to who God is, it might mean saying no to some things. It might mean changing your environments or your situations. It might mean putting in some hard work. But this is the Christmas message, right? The grace in all of this is that God is Emmanuel, God with us. And he promises to be with us no matter how difficult this process of change might be. Here's what the great spiritual writer Dallas Willard has to say about this. I may have quoted this in the past because this, is, this was really transformational for how I think about how grace operates in our lives. This is what Dallas Willard says. Grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. Grace, you know, does not just have to do with forgiveness of sins alone. Do, do we see how that works, right? That's how God has these things that he wants to give us. That's why his spirit is working, but we still got to do those things. But it's not because we have to earn God's love or his grace to do them. Part of that grace is the ability to do that at all. God is still with us and working through us because he is a covenant God who is committed to us despite our failings and New Year's resolutions and all kinds of other things. So this is a small aside, and I'll end here. Do you know what the one thing that they have found that does help people with New Year's resolutions? It's not individual willpower. It's finding community. When you find a community of people who will help you be that better self, right? That's what the church in its best sense should be, Right, Not just us all together in a room trying to do things better on our own, but relying on the Spirit of God. That's actually how change happens, right? That's why people need accountability partners that go to the gym, right? I'm, I've never been a gym person. I can't just show up to the gym. Part of it is I don't know what I'm doing in there, right? But if I have someone who's there with me, who's showing me how to use the machines, who's telling me you know, how to balance my exercises right so my whole body doesn't feel destroyed... And don't ask me about my gym habit. That's not my New Year's resolution, right? 
But that's an illustration of this idea that we were designed to change in community, not just by, you know, grunting it out on our, by ourselves, right, and figuring it out. That it's in community that God wants to change us and to transform us. Last thought. Mary treasured these things in her heart. That's what it says in verse 19 in the Luke passage. Mary treasured these things in her heart. So what I hope is we come into this new year. Like I said, you have your New Year's resolutions and all of those things. That's great. That's fine. But treasure the gift of the incarnation and the way that that is the only means by which we can be truly transformed and be made new. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.